Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of One Vision. Joining us today is Greg Lechewski, VP Global Pay Later Products at PayPal. Welcome to the show, Greg. Hi, Theo. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. So before we dive in, can you tell our audience a little bit about your journey and how did you end up in the role that you're in with PayPal? Yeah, sure thing. Uh, the, the only, the only uh, downside of sharing the journey is you'll quickly pick up. I've been doing this for a pretty long time, which ties. So, so just assume I started in uh, you know middle school or something. Um, but, but I cut my teeth in, uh, in banking right out of college, basically at the dawn of the internet. So really early in my career, got to build first generation websites, or I often will say, I've been around, uh, I was at a bank before there were websites for about six months and, and really early got the chance to build first generation web products for a minor line credit card company called MBNA, um, which was sort of a pioneer in, uh, affinity marketing. Uh, the things we now take for granted sports teams college credit cards etc i did that for 10 years uh, uh it built almost all facets of the web product line for them uh and then when when they were acquired by bank of america i thought it was a great time to sort of move on to something uh a little smaller and uh and was fortunate enough to meet up with the founders of bill me later uh back in uh 05, 06, and joined Bill me later is the head of uh, consumer product and marketing. Um, you know, sort of late early stage. So we'd been around for a while, but it was still pretty early stage. Um, if you're not familiar with the Bill me later story, it's it's a fascinating one in that it was sort of the original buy now pay later player in the online space. Um, had phenomenal growth. It was an amazing product. Um, we just happened to have really bad timing as it related to the 2008 economic cycle. So uh, we went from from IPO roadshow prep to, oh no, what's what happens when the capital market sees, uh, which happened in 2008. So fortunately we landed with PayPal. So that's how I became part of PayPal. First time around, I spent five years at PayPal really helping drive Bill Me Later product adoption through PayPal channels, eBay at the time, um, some of the core tech into the core stack of PayPal. Um, and then in 2014, I as, as sort of the recession hangover was fading on the consumer side, I stepped out to found a business uh, called BlissPay um, in the buy now pay later space, which was really focused on taking a similar value prop to Bill Me Later, but taking it omni-channel, taking it down market to smaller merchants uh, and leveraging mobile technology. Had had a great run at that, uh, but but uh, you know growth was outpacing capital, so we ended up selling that to a bank in the Midwest. Um, and as that sort of wound down, uh, PayPal, I, I reconnected with PayPal, who was it was sort of looking to re-energize their pay later efforts. They had the Bill Me Later product turned into PayPal Credit. It's been doing really, really well. It's a great product. It's loved by millions of consumers. But buy now, pay later was sort of re redrafted, if you will, into a new product type. Closed end installments, even if you go more uh, specific than that, shorter term loans like pay in four and and uh, yeah, PayPal was looking for someone to lead the effort sort of into the the more most modern evolution of buy now, pay later. So I came back uh, two years ago, October, to uh, to sort of turbocharge and work with a great group of people to to bring PayPal back into the conversation as it relates to buy now, pay later, uh, which is where I sit today. So uh, as the VP of Global Pay Later Products, 
Uh, we launched our flagship product, Pay It Forward, just a year ago in October of 2014, and have seen great success and traction in the U.S. And and you know we now have products in seven different markets uh, around the globe, and and lots of ambitious plans as we continue to move forward um, on our roadmap and whatnot. It's always good to hear sort of the background of how people came to, to come into a company like PayPal and sort of the acquisition route. They've done so many really great acquisitions and brought in so many great people over the years. You know, think about, you know, you, you came back at a really interesting time, of course. We've, we've seen consumer behavior change so dramatically during the pandemic, uh, and it's really accelerated the usage of digital wallets and touch-free payments. Uh, it's increased adoption of e-commerce activity just like crazy. How has the way that consumers have changed uh, really affected you know, how they use the PayPal app at the same time. Yeah, uh, Brad, it has been fascinating um, to see all this acceleration and consumer behavior shift in the last, gosh, what is now you know, 18 months or so, right? Um, you know, PayPal's bread and butter continues to be online commerce, but you, you start, you've, we've started to see consumers sort of branch out in a few different ways. Um, one is uh, the types of goods they buy online. Right, we saw a shift from sort of more discretionary products to day-to-day -day necessities, um, whether that be home office or school supply type stuff to, to uh, you know, essentials uh, like uh, paper towels and the like, um, as well as like home office equipment, home gym equipment, et cetera. So vertical, you know, vertical is stretched. Lots of channel. Um, you know, we talked about the blurring of mobile and physical for a while, but we we really saw that sort of get accelerated as well, particularly with things like buy online, pick up in store, or you know, whatever we're calling it now, buy online, sit in your car and have someone open the open the door uh, you know, at, at certain merchants. Uh, but you now can use PayPal for those types of transactions. Whereas before you had to make a decision, do I use it for the online purchase? You know, some people had shipped to store, but it just wasn't really that robust um, or mainstream. And I would say that's really, we've seen that really mainstream. Um, and I don't think that's a behavior that's going to shift anytime, anytime soon. I was, I was just this past weekend. I, my wife said, Hey, can you run by target and uh, pick something up? I ordered and I hadn't been at our target in a while. And they literally changed their entire store footprint to have, to have an, uh, a new delivery door, just to feed the curbside pickup cars. Like, it, like they, they moved it to a different side of the store. It has its own separate logistics. It's pretty, it's a pretty robust thing. And I, I, uh, I, I hadn't even realized it uh, until this past weekend. Um, you know, and then you see us expanding other ways into in-store. So we've had a you know, really strong adoption of our QE, QRC solution, which we really think was pulled forward by you know, people just being more sensitive to the things they touch when they're out and about. So you know, safety became top of mind. In the buy now, pay later category, uh, you know, early in the pandemic, you know, we saw a lot of adoption, we think largely driven by a ton of uncertainty that existed in all of our lives. You know, if you, if you sort of close your eyes and think about March, April, May of a year ago, we, you know, most of us weren't sure what was gonna happen, when we were gonna be able to leave our house, where we're gonna have a job, if we had a job, where we're gonna get paid, you know, where are we gonna get our goods from? So, you know, by now, pay later, which had already been growing, it was a real great inflection moment where people, this uncertainty drew people to really think about how they manage their cash flow. Um, buy now, pay later really serves that need. And I think drove adoption beyond the early adopting segments. Um, so those are all ways in sort of the way PayPal wallet 
and commerce solutions have have sort of expanded. Um, and then you've seen us get into more adjacent type products on the financial side. So we introduced crypto um, in the last year, and and we've seen that as as a really strong product pickup is is sort of a trusted brand. You know, one recent re- report had us as the second most trusted brand in the world, not just in payments, but just in period. So, you know, we really think it's a place where people will hold, you know, and, and more sort of everyday people, you know, we call it crypto for the people. Um, you know, we're not talking about people who are buying as long-term investments necessarily, but you're really democratizing it out. So if someone wants to hold a little bit of crypto, they can do it in a safe and trusted, trusted place. And, you know, we're, we'll continue to expand those types of services. We've talked publicly about adding a savings account, which should be rolling out soon. Um, you know, we'll just continue to try to bring more and more value to the 400 million plus consumers on our network. Um, you know, also uh, the 30 million plus merchants that are also on our network. That that's a great segue. And and before we get there, I do agree. I think the behavior has changed so much, and expectations too, right? I I don't think. I ever want to go back to the old days of shopping. I love curbside pickup and I keep wondering, where was it uh, 12 years ago when, when my kids were babies, when <laughs> that would have been so helpful. Um, so switching gear a little bit and picking up on what you just talked about, the, the 400 million plus consumers and more than 30 million businesses that are connected all within one app. Can you walk us through some of the ways that you're serving and connecting these large groups of people and how has that changed in the last few years yeah you know and by the way i agree with you on the you know my kids are now you know young teenagers and uh you know the uh the formula diaper you know, those essential pickups would have been would have been uh you know a lot nicer uh a lot more convenient so i, I hear you on that you know i think the one thing that's really changed and um yeah you know, i've talked about this a little bit in other places is from a from a merchant perspective, it's really it's never been easier to sort of be at parity from an offering perspective. The rise of platforms have just made it simple to enter and get access to to capabilities that would have been really out of reach just a few years ago. So PayPal on the payment side, um, you know, you have commerce platforms like Woo, or we just announced the deal with Wix, um, you know, Magento, et cetera. You know, they're all, whether it's themselves or third-party providers, you know, PayPal on the payment side into those platforms, um, us expanding into services like buy now, pay later. It's, it's, you know, I think we're a part of, you know, sort of that platform economy that just helps, it makes it easier for, for merchants, particularly those who aren't, you know, super sophisticated, you know, they're not enterprise, they don't have centralized tech teams and financial teams. Um, you know, they can get access to these capabilities on basically a variable cost basis. There's not a large, you know, if we go back 12 years, if you wanted to get into the e-commerce business, you know, either platforms were clunky or you had to go figure out what, you know, how to rent rack space or how to, how to, how to rent, uh, you know, and stand up a website and plug in a commerce module and, you know, et cetera, you know, manage an inventory system. All of those tools have just become so much uh, easier and cost uh, affordable, if you will. Uh, you know, and that's where PayPal sort of fits in on the payment side. And then as we expand beyond just our branded, obviously button, which has all the consumer adoption, we offer full stack processing for your, your card processing, 
Um, you know, we offer you know, a lot of identity and risk solutions, um, and you can get it directly from us, or you can get it from just about every platform um, that's offering commerce solutions. Uh, and that, and we've seen that uh, you know, we we take our place in that ecosystem really seriously. Um, and on the buy now pay later side, you know, it's one of the reasons we were really excited to roll out a product um, that we could blend into our PayPal offering. So, uh, unlike other providers who their whole business is in this buy now pay later space, you know, we're really in the payment space. You know, volume is the game, and what we want to do is help merchants grow sales and make it easy for consumers to use the funding instrument or payment instrument of their choice. Um, so we just built it into our wallet on the consumer side and we built it into our offerings on the merchant side. So we don't, we don't price it separately. It's, it's not, it, you don't have to do a heavy new and a tender type integration to take advantage of it, uh, et cetera. Let's, let's talk a little bit then about that product, uh, the PayPal pay and four, and how do you see, you know, by now pay later sort of fit into the future of PayPal and how you're going to further connect consumers and merchants? Yeah, it's a great question, Brad. So, you know, one of the things about financing and, you know, paying for is just the latest uh, sort of incarnation of financing. Point of sale store financing has been around for decades, right? Typically it's, you know, historically you think of it as more durable goods. You're buying a washing machine, you're buying furniture for the house, you're, you know, you're buying a car, right? The, um, you know, and then you have, uh, you know, the digitization of that in installment loans and now paying for is, you know, helping people do, you know, break up smaller purchases into, um, you know, more manageable bite size expenditures. And the way we help connect consumers to merchants in that case is by giving them merchants tools that makes it easy for them to let their customers know that these financing options are available. And the earlier in a journey, that a merchant does that, the more helpful it can be to their business. So, um, you know, if it's offsite, if they're doing loyalty emails or or demand generation type activities, their social channels, you're just letting folks know, hey, the hundred dollar pair of sneakers can be four payments of twenty five dollars uh, you know, with a product like Pay and Four, and then certainly onsite, the uh, you know, homepage for awareness, product page near price, so people can, you know, it really comes down to merchandising the idea that a hundred dollar purchase can be four of twenty five or 200 can be four of 50 by making that um, value prop available and making that merchandising machinery available in a simple to integrate type of way. Um, it really helps merchants pull consumers in or once a consumer is in, convert a browser to a buyer. Um, and with uh, you know potentially um, a little more spending capacity, that buyer might spend a little bit. They might, they might add another item to the cart they might accelerate a purchase that they were going to wait, you know, a few weeks to to make. They can pull it forward, um, et cetera, and that sort of drives the the commerce flywheel from a from a merchant perspective. Yeah, I think I think that is so very true. I remember reading stats about being able to do more conversion from that perspective, but there's also something more unique with how PayPal offers the paying for product. Um, what is the overall value prop in, in that sense is, is more than just converting um, consumers, isn't it? What about options for merchant partners? 
Yeah, it, it is. So, you know, on the consumer side, it, you know, they're all, you know, all of our solutions tend to look similar, right? It's, it's payment optionality and flexibility. Um, yeah, when we talk to merchants, we talk about some real differentiators when you get a solution like paying for from PayPal. Um, you know, one is brand trust, right? So there's only so many ways to say four payments of $25, but when you say with PayPal, it means something. It is a financial transaction at the end of the day. It is a loan at the end of the day. Um, yeah, so we see a lot of positive brand attribution when you partner with PayPal. Um, then there's just the pure scale um, and, of data. So with 400 million consumers on our file, with, gosh, I have to do the math now. So Bill Me Later became part of PayPal in 08. So thir yeah, 12, 13 years of underwriting experience, like we know how to sort of optimize the funnel and and use data. And we have a lot, you know, a lot of data given our, our size to get more people through the funnel with a yes, that, that should get a yes, right? So we take responsible lending very seriously as well, but we're able to make um, determinations to sort of approve someone for that $100 transaction or not. That others simply are, are not because we know so many more customers um, because we have such a large customer base. Um, so that's a big advantage. And then, you know, two others I would highlight is one, most sites already have PayPal integrated as a payment mark. So integrating a new tender type, you know, is comes with additional work. You have to worry about exceptional exception processing, you know, returns, disputes, um, online purchases, in-store returns. You know, there's there's a lot of operational stuff that goes into consideration when you add a tender type. And since most merchants have already integrated PayPal, um, taking advantage of paying for or um, PayPal credit, which is another offering in our pay later suite, you don't have to do anything else um, on top of what you're already doing to, to process PayPal. Um, so that's that's another advantage. And then um, price, which I was alluding to earlier, we we price our pay later offering pay for at the same price as processing PayPal. So, which is uh, you know typically lower than standalone solutions who are, are charging four or five. Six percent for a pay later offering. We're we're at uh, you know, we're we're included as part of standard as standard pricing, since we don't have to make our whole business on just pay later transactions. Um, it's really about payment volume for us and you know long term customer uh, loyalty to both the merchant and to PayPal as well. And and I think that that is kind of the major point here because when you as a as a consumer come in and see this long list of options to pay you're going to gravitate towards something that you know and trust um when you know you talk about people coming in and, and having just a single business model as this buy now pay later uh, sort of paradigm it's it's very true that that you guys have so much more uh, sort of to offer than this one flavor what's interesting though is how you guys have launched it. And you look at the type of brands that you've launched it with. Can you talk about some of the successful merchant integrations that PayPal has undertaken with its partners around the world and some of the numbers you could share about how the um, pay and for program is really working to connect consumers and merchants? Yeah, sure thing. And, and before I answer the specific question, just to bounce off of something you mentioned, Brad, is um, you know, one, one additional benefit on the consumer side is because PayPal mark is essentially across all of e-commerce, we we also sort of view ourselves as the 
sort of single ubiquitous pay later option. Because today, particularly in the US, if you go to if you go to one merchant, you might see a solution from partner A. If you go to another merchant and you want to use the same value prop, you might have to uh, use a different uh, provider. And you know, a third merchant, the same thing. Um, so suddenly you're managing one payment with a Klarna, another payment with an Afterpay, another payment with a firm. At all three of those sites, it's very likely that PayPal existed. And whether or not we've reached the level of partnership with a merchant where they're putting us on their product page, if the yellow button is there, you know, pay in four is there. So um, you know, we're building a real habituation with our consumers that if you see PayPal as an option, you see pay in four. Now, for merchants to get the most out of it, we think it's, and, and it's a win for us and a win for consumers as well. Yeah, we want to work with more and more who are also putting it on their product page or using it in their outbound channels, et cetera, which gets to the question, the, you know, the specific question you asked. Um, and, yeah, we have, we've had, um, yeah, really great pickup. We have uh, you know, tens of thousands of merchants presenting us upstream. Um, you know, and a few I'll you know a few I'll talk about. Uh, you know, DXL, the men's clothier, was really early partner of ours. We've been really, really fantastic partner. Um, you know, there's a case study you can find uh, you know, somewhere. I should have had the URL with me, but I think it's PayPal.com/slash/PayLater. Um, you know, and just and just since they've launched, we've seen 100% lift in their PayLater sales volume. Um, they saw you know a 25% plus increase in the Gen Z and millennial categories, which you know, which is an oversubscribed um, population that that uses these services. Not exclusive though. So one of the great things about uh, you know, doing this from the PayPal platform is you know, we're able to sort of drive adoption beyond traditional um, early adopter Gen Z millennial types because we have because we have that wallet offering we've turned it on in the wallet we see adoption across all segments um and you know pay and four was nearly half of of sort of pay later sales uh with dxl uh which we were really happy about a couple other merchants uh omaha steaks was a good was a really great merchant for us you know we saw a double digit lift in average order value uh, when they presented pay and four upstream uh we saw a 35 percent increase in mobile usage of pay and four versus uh standard paypal shoppers um, Samsonite in the luggage category is another really good partner of ours. Um, nearly half of, of their pay later sales are with pay and four. We saw a 30, you know, 35 plus percent growth in AOV, um, average order value on their site. Um, and, and, you know, as I mentioned, just, we just recently launched GameStop, uh, upstream, which is, you know, performing really well. Um, and because we have such a wide merchant base and we're integrated into core platforms like BigCommerce, uh, Wix just implemented. Um, and what that means is when we implement through a platform, the merchant just has to toggle it on in their dashboard. They don't have any work to do to take advantage of it. Um, and we have you know, tens of thousands of merchants doing so. And because we've made it also a feature of the wallet, you know, we've seen transactions, you know, pay later transactions, that in the, and this is more US-centric stat, um, you know, nearly a million unique merchants, um, which is great because we, you know, we really view ourselves, um, as, as helping to democratize financial services to consumers and merchants of all sizes. So, um, you know, the Walmarts and the targets who are great partners of ours have always had access to programs like this, but, but it's the ability to serve both those large enterprise merchants, but also, you know, the entrepreneurs, the middle, the, the, the small, medium-sized businesses, the backbone 
of the U.S. economy um, and let them sort of be on equal footing with uh, with bigger brands. That, that is a fascinating story. I think that is such an important point, isn't it? Like you say, the small businesses are the backbone of the country and actually beyond that, a lot of economies. So I, I, I like what you all have been doing to support that segment. Um, I do want to ask you something. It is becoming increasingly important for financial applications to offer transparency, right? That That's something that we talk a lot about within fintech and financial services for consumers. And how do we become more inclusive in what we do? So from your perspective, how does buy now, pay later offer a more inclusive option for credit and more importantly, an improved transparency for payments in general? Yeah, this is a really important, a really important point. Yeah, um, yeah I, I, and I'll bridge off of what I was just talking about. Yeah, for for a long, long time, point of sale financing um, was available to the largest stores. Um, and and they were doing that through partnerships with the largest banks. So, um, yeah, they've always had option access to the programs. The types of programs have evolved, but in general, you know, if you wanted to finance a washing machine, you know, that's been around forever if you walked into Home Depot or Lowe's. But not necessarily if you walked into the Main Street hardware store um, or you know, a, a co-op of Ace or whatnot, or or you know a local bridal shop for a bridal gown, or um, you know pick your pick your category. So I think one way um, you know we sort of help with the, from the inclusion standpoint is we let everyone participate in the category on the merchant side, and that by definition allows consumers to then choose to shop and make their purchases. If financing is an important part of the discussion, where they want to, not just where a big bank happened to do a deal with a big box store, um, and I think that's a really important part of the story and how um, solutions uh, like paying for technology, um, et cetera, has really has really sort of brought this level of parity and option and inclusiveness to to consumers. Um, then on the inclusive side, yeah, there's data. It's gave you the background. So I've been in around this consumer lending space for a long, for a long time, and yeah, you know, there's there's you know if you think of a coin, there's two different sides that often compete with each other. One is like, um, how do we make sure we're lending to everyone who needs access to capital? Like, how are we fair and treat everyone the same? And on the other side of that coin is like, but how are we responsible and make sure we don't lend to folks and help you know. Uh, and make sure we're not doing too, we're not uh, lending to such a point where we're helping people get in, you know, quote, getting trouble, right? Those compete with each other, right? You want to you want to make capital available to as many people who need it, but you also want to make sure you're making it available to people who can afford um, to sort of handle the debt. And you know, we take this really seriously at, at PayPal, and I think our access to data and our history of underwriting puts us in a, a really good spot to make sure we're getting that right as often as we can. We don't get it perfect. Um, you know, we, this is not a zero loss business for us, but we manage it to really strong levels while maintaining really, really high approval rates. So we think that's also a way we're helping people participate and you know be included in the economy. Um, and then on the point of transparency, you know, this is this has been a real um, important topic to me for a long time, which is. Uh, 
the best lending products are ones that that garner repeat usage and and you don't garner repeat usage if you surprise customers with hidden terms or hidden fees or the like and um you know there have been actors in this general lending industry that have made a business on surprising people with fees or unexpected interest etc and i've always been really proud for my bill me later days um, through my paypal days my startup days and back in making you know us you know, we take it really seriously to make sure customers understand the product they're opening the cost the cost they're going to pay um uh etc so so that's you know pay and for is built in that model we make it clear that someone's opening up a credit account in, in the pay and for case there's no interest um so there's no there's no uh there's no chance for a surprise like wait where did that interest come from kind of thing but but it's still important for someone to know and go through a step and make sure they understand that they're agreeing to credit terms. They have a payment obligation. Um, we eliminated late fees on our product uh, globally. So we you know, we have pay four in the US, we have a pay in three like product in the UK and other parts of Europe. Um, we have pay in four in Australia. Uh, yeah, we thought it was important um, to create a program that could sustain without late fees. We know people miss payments. Um, most often it's, it's not intentional. It's not. A, it's not even a sign of financial distress. It's. It's you know a, a card expired, the payment was mistimed with the cash flow, et cetera, and and we want to penalize people for when that happens. So we've eliminated late fees. Um, you know, we just we just kindly ask them that they pay us back, um, and if they don't, we just we we turn off access to the product until until an account is uh is in good standing, um, and that's and and we build our business to win on people reusing it. And I think that's the ultimate validation of are these strategies landing with customers? And we're seeing really, really, really strong reuse rates on our pay and for products. So it, you know, within six months of someone using us for the first time, you know, more than 70% of customers are using us for a second time. Um, you know, and many are using us four or five, six, seven, you know, seven times. Um, and to me, you can't win that long-term loyalty if you're, if you're not transparent, you might, if you had a one, a one sort of, uh, uh, if you were a single use product, uh, you know, you might, you might be able to, you know, quote unquote, win from a business perspective if you tricks people. Um, but it, but if you have a product that's predicated on, you want it to become the top pay later choice for them for all their spend for the next decade. Um, you know, being anything but transparent, not only is being transparent the right thing to do, but being anything but transparent is just bad. It's a bad business strategy. Um, so we've built lots of, you know, we, we build our products with that in mind. Um, and, and to me, those, those reuse rates are the ultimate validation that we're doing it right. Well, and, and we appreciate sort of the, the, the light that you're bringing to this product and to what you guys are doing. Um, and your background, I think leads to a good answer, I hope for this last question. Um, You've seen the, pan the payment landscape change so much uh, in the time that you've been in it. What do you, what do you think is going to happen next uh, in the next, say, five years or so? And what's next for PayPal? Um, I, well, I'll keep that focused on the pay later space versus uh, broad terms, just uh, just to keep me um, focused. Uh, look, we're going to continue to lean into the space. We think there's more products to be built for customers. Um, Beyond just paying for, um, we think there's there's 
there's lots of demand to serve people, not only for their more discretionary products, uh, whether it be sneakers or uh, outfits or home equipment, but also more durable goods. Um, so, so we're interested in getting into longer term uh, installment loans. Um, and I think there's going to be some category uh, expansion as well. Uh, and, I, and I mentioned that earlier, you know, the, 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 new, the newest or modern day buy now, pay later really started in apparel, fashion, uh, discretionary items, you know, Gen Z, millennials. And, you know, we've seen that expand. The pandemic certainly drove expansion into home equipment and um, other categories. Uh, you know, the rise of the waste up wardrobe was, you know, was, was a popular term late last year. Uh, I think you're going to see a move into more uh, non-discretionary categories. You can almost think of it as live now, pay later. You know, there are lots of expenditures. Or actually, it's small in terms of the number, but the size is really, really big, right? So you have your car payment, you have your rent payment, um, uh, your your mobile phone payment, your cable and entertainment payment. Yeah, you know, these these can be really large expenditures that all tend to be due as a lump sum at a point in time, um, and yeah, you know, we see a, a growing opportunity to take a solution, or uh, maybe maybe slightly tweaked, but imagine. You know, instead of a thousand dollars of rent being due on the first of the month, it was two hundred fifty dollars a week for the whole month, right? So you can really spread out your cash flow payments with your, with your sort of income stream. Your instead of your car payment being four hundred dollars on the twentieth, imagine if it was seventy five dollars every week. Um, you know, and this does fit with the younger generation who's also grown up in the subscription lifestyle. You know, everything is, you know, not everything, but many things that they're consuming are, you know, on a subscription basis. I'm paying seven dollars a month for my music. I'm paying twenty dollars a month for my Video entertainment, um, yeah, they might be on a, a a wardrobe subscription. You know, it's just sort of a way of life. And I think more, uh, you know, more of these sort of uh, non discretionary expenditures can be smoothed out with with pay later type solutions. Um, you know, and some of those I think PayPal will enter, and some you know, some will wait and see how they develop. Well, we look forward to the new innovation that's coming down the road. Thank you so much for spending time with us, Greg, today. And for the rest of you, thank you for joining us for another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you all next week.